Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Blood on the Rocks. I'm your host, Akshay Taylor, and today I'm joined by Lawrence Garrett. Hello. Do you want to say a bit about yourself? Um, much like all the other co-presenters, I was in university, and now I'm not, and I'm doing nothing. That's all. Perfect. That's what I do as well. <laughs> so, um, what, was, what do I say next? So what, what do I say next? Um, something about what we're doing. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what, yeah, that's what I normally do. Okay, so, it's going great already. Brilliantly. So, uh, today I'm going to be talking about a guy called Hisashi Auchi. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm probably pronouncing that horribly, and I'm trying not to make the joke. <laughs> because this... Looking at your notes, I know the guy. Yeah. yeah. And I'll be talking about Matthew Hopkins, the Witchfinder General. Such a good title. It is. Shame it was fake. <laughs> yeah. And also related to what it talks about in episode um, three. Yes, Bloody Mackenzie. Yes. You mentioned him. Like, I didn't realise until I started research, and I was like, I'm sure you mentioned that. <laughs> so now we get to get to hear about him as well. Yeah. This is going to be fun. Okay, so, uh, what you drinking today? Um, I've got two bottles. Uh, one is Thornbridge Cocoa Wonderland, and the other is the Wild Beer Company Millionaire. Both of them are dark and sweet. I have never had those. They're good. Cool. Oh. I have Old Empire IPA. And Medusa. Classic. Oh yeah, I, I, I hope you know I chose these because they were the strongest ones that, ha- that Aldi had. Oh, I forgot that <laughs> Aldi did Marston's, yeah. Yeah, 57 and 5%. So. I mean, at least you're not still on that same box. Can't. Which one? I swear you were on the same box of wine for like three episodes. Oh yeah, I was. I do, no, to be fair, I got a replacement box. Oh, okay. And that's this one here, which still has some wine in it. Nice. But, I, but I'm drinking other stuff because people keep bringing me alcohol. There are worse ways to go. I know. Like, it just means I'll spare wine, just in case. But yes, anyway, probably get into it, shouldn't we? <laughs> okay, so you get a choice. Do you want to go first or should I? I'll go second. Okie dokie. In that case, we'll uh, cut to music, just so I can get my head together. Yep. And um, yeah, so, right. We're back. I, I know I said I'm going to be talking about Hisashi Aochi, but first, but to get into that, first we have to learn about the Tokaimura nuclear accidents. Right. So let's go to Japan. The Tokaimura nuclear accident, which is at the um, nuclear facility at Tokai Ibaraki. I'm better at pronouncing Japanese than I am German. Yeah, I suppose it's more obvious what it's meant to be. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, last <laughs> week. German Jays. Last week was the train wreck. It, was like, it wasn't actually about that train wreck in Germany, was it? No. Oh, okay. Uh, it was a few hundred years before trains, I think. I don't know when trains started. Uh, the I'm 1800s, probably like. <laughs> so there, there have actually been two nuclear accidents uh, at this facility. So the first one, um, I'll just gloss over because um, that's not one that, we, that we're concentrating on. But um, it happened in, on the 11th of March, 1997. And basically uh, a small explosion ha- happened in one of the nuclear reprocessing plants. And... What happened, basically, windows smashed, smoke escaped to the atmosphere, and um, two days later, workers repaired 30 broken windows and three doors with duct tape. Which Good plan. Duct tape does solve pretty much everything. But during this, 
at least 37 workers were exposed to elevated radiation levels and over a week and a week after the event you could detect high levels of radiation about 25 miles southwest of the plant seems minor until you measure it yeah but anyway like i said glossing over the first one this one more fun then well it's the one we're concentrating on i didn't look too much into the first one because um i wanted to concentrate on this guy in particular right because <laughs> okay. i heard about it a few years ago and it's it's another contender for worst ways to die yay so yeah we're going to 1999 on the 30th of september where um it was a more serious accident prior to the fukushima uh, disaster in 2011 it was the worst civilian nu- nuclear accident in japan i'm not sure about other countries but in japan at least yeah basically it was a criticality there criticality accident right. i just took it slow um so basically um when it became it just became self-sufficient and kept going right before it should have yeah and, and it was in a uranium reprocessing facility <coughs> Um, operated by uh, JCO, yeah, who are like a part of the um, Sumitomo M- Metal Mining Company in Tokai, which is uh, in the Ibaraki Prefecture, which I think is what are equivalent counties, maybe? I imagine so. Because I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah. Basically, what happened? There were three workers preparing a small v- batch of fuel for the um, Joyo uh, Experimental Fast Breeder Reactor. Their first batch of fuel for that reactor in three years. But uh, even then, from what you could tell, uh, the workers didn't have the proper training or qualifications for it. Uh, and didn't go so well for them. Right. Like The three workers were called Hisashi Auchi, who was the main one that I'm concentrating on. Masato Shinohara and Yutaka Yokokawa. Nailed it. I'm, yeah, <laughs> you did great. Nailed it. I'm, I'm proud of myself, man. <laughs> but yeah, so... Uh, I'll try not to go too sciencey, so let me know if I am. But uh, I know I you know. do nuclear yeah. stuff, so yeah, I know this stuff. So yeah, if I look confused, stop. <laughs> there was reached upon the when the technicians basically added a seventh bucket of a ur- urinal nitrate solution to the tank. I like that they're adding these things by the bucket. Yep, and that was their first mistake. Also, their la- one of their last mistakes. Oh, good. So well, uh, not good, but yeah, you, you know. Yeah. So basically, the um, nuclear uh, chain reaction became self-sustaining and started emitting intense gamma and neutron re- radiation. And uh, at the time it happened, Hisashi had his body draped over the tank while Shinohara stood at a platform to pour the solution into it. Yokokawa was sitting at a desk four meters away. And basically, they all saw a blue flash. And uh, then gamma radiation alarms sounded. I mean, it, it's good to know that at least... Cop, like cartoon nuclear radiation that glows green is a real thing. So uh, basically, uh, Hisashi and Shinohara immediately experienced pain, nausea, difficulty breathing, and other symptoms. Hisashi then began to vomit in a decontamination room a few minutes later and then lost consciousness. There wasn't any explosion or anything, but um, all these nuclear products were continuously being released inside the building so um still not great not not ideal no this um reaction kept happening uh, on and off about 20 hours and five hours after it started there was an evacuation of a nearby area as well where about 161 people from 39 houses were evacuated and stuff they were actually they were allowed home two days later 
uh, with sandbags and other shielding for their houses. So that's not a very big exclusion radius. We had a bigger one of those when they found a, like an old World War Two bomb. Yeah, it was a uh, three hundred fifty meters. It's not much at all. Say so we added one kilometer. Three hundred fifty meters, and they and they got given sandbags to protect to protect from radiation. And um, twelve hours after it started, um, residents within ten kilometers were asked to stay indoors as a precautionary measure. So once again, these guys were let back into a three hundred fifty meter radius. <laughs> So uh, they could have at least offered to lead line their houses. Yeah, but and the restriction was lifted the following afternoon as well. Great, that's how you handle a nuclear emergency like that. Mm-hmm. And um, and the following the following morning, uh, workers managed to finally stop the reaction by draining water from a cooling jacket into the into a surrounding tank. The main thing I want to know is when they had this runaway reaction, did they at least manage to get some power out of it? I don't know. Did they did they manage to power those thirty nine <laughs> households? But yeah, so basically, um, they managed to stop it. But uh, actually, stopping it all exposed another twenty seven workers to radioactivity. Of course, nowhere near as bad as the original three technicians. Yeah. But uh, yeah, still pretty bad. You'd have thought by ninety nine they'd have good, well, better radiation suits. And... Hmm. Well, I, I don't really know. I don't know the history of nuclear engineering, so no. But I mean. There's already been a couple of big explosions. You'd have thought they'd have learned how to, if not this is stop them, then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, how did this happen, you ask? So basically, the cause of the accident was basically the workers adding this urinal nitrate solution, which contained about 16 kilos of uranium into the precipitation tank, which is basically where the reaction occurs. So it was a big bucket. Yeah. I mean, they were doing it bu- bucket by bucket. Like oh. remember, they were in the seventh bucket by the time they by the time this happens, and basically, um, yeah. So this contained sixteen kilos of uranium. The tank's uranium limit was two point four kilos. Uh, so yeah, basically, this this caused an instantaneous and uncontrolled reaction. So one bucket. Yep. Two point four is about a seventh. Yeah, probably. God's sake. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, they didn't really have the qualifications or training requirements, from what we can tell. Under correct procedures, the, the solution would basically be stored inside a buffer tank next to it and pumped in for the correct volume to be measured. Right. So basically, they just didn't do that. They were, they were doing it by hand. Which, okay. for one, why would you be why would you be pouring buckets of uranium like solution anywhere? <laughs> yeah. So basically, what, how they did it was they bypassed using that, that buffer tank entirely. Um, and poured it directly into it with a stainless steel bucket, and the, yeah, the buffer tank would have actually held it completely safely. But the, the reaction tank, of course, wasn't designed for that, and shit went down. I mean, half the question is why is the uh, main tank designed such that you can pour buckets into it? That's true. I mean, if it's, ma- I mean, I guess for maintenance reasons when it's not yeah. in use. Yeah, it's still thought some but... kind of locked lid or something. Yeah. I think that's a very least a warning sign, right? Yeah, just do not bucket uranium solution into this tank. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's looking, it won't matter. Oh yeah, anyway. So, we go to the aftermath. Yay. Which, let's face it, everyone wants the aftermath. Yeah. Like, it's actually pretty fucking rough. But yeah, so basically, dozens of emergency workers and nearby residents were hospitalised, and hundreds of thousands of others were forced to remain indoors for 24 hours. Oh um, no, what a shame. I've yeah. never done that. 
and um, 39 of the workers were exposed to radiation. And at least 667 emergency responders, uh, workers and nearby residents were exposed to excess radiation as a result of the accident. Right. Like, just, like, from coming out afterwards. Yeah. And um, basically, by measuring the concentration of sodium from the accident, they could actually measure how much radiation the technicians got. So, put it this way, normal background radiation amounts to basically an, about three millisieverts and a year. Right. A year. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty low. For just comparison's sake, 50 millisieverts is the maximum allowable annual dose for Japanese nuclear workers. Right. So, we'll start on the low end of people. Yep. Okay, so about 56 plant workers were had exposure ranging up to 23 millisieverts. Okay, acceptable. Yep. Another 21 workers received elevated stuff out when draining the tank as well. Right, yeah. Seven workers immediately outside the plant um, received doses of 6 to 15 millisieverts. Right. Okay, now let's go to the technicians, shall we? It's going to be good. Okay. Or just awful. Yutaka Yokokawa, who was at the desk. Yeah, four metres away. Yeah, four minutes away. He received three sieverts, <laughs> which is about which one sievert is about is a thousand times another sievert for yep. people that don't for people that aren't sure. Masato Shinohara, who was just who was the guy next, pulling the bucket yep. from the balcony or something. Yep, from yep. on the platform next to it. He received ten sieverts, and Hisashi Auchi, who was draped over the vessel, received seventeen sieverts. <laughs> Of uh, radiation. Oh, now it's just getting ridiculous, really. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, I'm going to make you guess. Okay. What what level do you think it would take to be lethal? I'm sure it's only in like the hundreds of millisieverts, isn't it? Actually, not not quite that low. Like, oh, okay. Like, I, I didn't think it was quite into sieverts. Yeah. Okay. So um, it's uh, eight sieverts is normally fatal, and more than ten is almost always so. Like no matter, like even with the medical attention and stuff. Yeah. Needless to say, they had it pretty fucking bad. Yep. Um, the amount of radioactive energy that um, Hisashi uh, was exposed to is thought to be equivalent to that of the hypercenter uh, of the Hiroshima bombing. Right. Like the atom bomb. Like, like right in the middle of it. Yeah, I was going to say. So that's if he'd been hit by the bomb. Basically, just without an explosion. Nice. That's survivable, clearly. <laughs> yeah. So, I will say that the we still got more aftermath. Just follow up to let's let's figure out what actually happened to this actually, shall we? Yep. And um, this is pretty fucking grim. And this is and you by the end of it, you'll realize why I say it's one of the worst ways to go. Well, at least I haven't had any dinner to feel ill on. Oh yeah, it's uh, I mean, it might be wise. Yeah. <laughs> right. I am going to need to keep a full mouth of water so I can do a spit take every now and then. <laughs> right. Basically over the next few months, um, first of all Shinohara will go quickly over him Yeah. Uh, before going to uh, Hisashi. Okay, so Shinohara basically after after the accident he received several skin grafts that were successful, uh, but eventually he just succumbed to infection because of the damage his immune system had. Right, yeah. And he died on April 27, 2000s. What was the date of the actual? Uh, the actual event? event happened on 30th September 1999. Okay. Now, um, as soon as the doctors saw his Sashiauchi, um, 
basically knew he was a walking dead man. Right. Um, because he, he had been straight up exposed to concentrated beams of radiation, basically. But despite this, he was awake for some time in the aftermath, uh, and he could even talk to his surgeons a little bit, and he thought there might be some hope for a bit. And then his skin started falling off. Nice. Yeah. Um, the flesh underneath also began to deter- deteriorate. Okay. Uh, and he was soon put into a coma after his symptoms became too painful for him. Basically, most of his body had severe burns and his internal organs had severe damage. His skin and flesh blistered and began to fall off in front of doctors. His internal organs failed and he lost almost all of his body fluids in one day. All of them. Almost all of them. He had more had basically more had to be pumped into him along with a blood transfusion. His exposure to radiation was so severe that his chromosomes were destroyed and his white blood cell count plummeted to nearly zero. His like it's frankly impressive. Yeah, basically the radiation had completely destroyed his body and when I think destroyed his body, this includes his DNA and immune system. I was gonna say at this point. Yeah, a- according to the book A Slow Death. 83 days of radiation sickness, none of Alchi's chromosomes could be identified or arranged in order. 83 days? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I was hoping this would be quick. <laughs> oh, no. Um, basically, as the condition worsened, that this, this is what we're going into, like, because like, it was 83 days. Basically, as his condition worsened, uh, he was transferred to the University of Tokyo Hospital, where he apparently underwent the world's first transfusion of peripheral stem cells and was given loads of blood transfusions, fluids, and a lot of medicine that wasn't available in Japan yet. Right. He also underwent several skin transplants, which uh, still couldn't help the loss of fluids through pores. (laughs) That look. Oh, that makes me feel ill. Oh, yeah. Like squeezing a sponge. Yeah. Um, And um, after being treated for a week, he, ma- uh, he managed to say, I can't take it anymore. I'm not a guinea pig. However, <laughs> doctors kept treating him and taking measures to keep him alive, which basically, and as the book said, only ensured him a very slow and painful death. Has this been made into a film? I can't imagine anybody would sell the rights to it. but I don't know. Yeah, on November 27th, his heart failed for 70 minutes and the doctors managed to keep him alive despite his earlier protests with blood transfusions, fluids and various drugs once again, uh, which they used to keep his blood pressure and pulse stable. So he actually died once already and they brought him back anyway? Marvels of modern science. Mm -hmm. And then finally on December 21st his heart failed and the doctors did not resuscitate and the cheeky fuckers like they apparently they did not. Apparently, what they said was they didn't was they didn't resuscitate because the family wanted him to have a peaceful death. Fucking took, those, took a short while. Yeah, yeah. Needless to say, people like there's there's been a lot of discussion about on this as to them. Oh, and a lot of people basically been accusing them of just keeping a life for basically like, guinea pig reasons. Yeah. So just keep just to kind of like watch the effects of radiation. Yeah. Which is a fucking terrifying prospect. Yeah. I mean that's pretty horrifying anyway, but I think I just went out. Like he went out after a week. Yeah. 
Like that's Sands and nearly Thieves three is months. an impressively long amount of time. Yeah, nearly three months of that shit. Um, but yeah. So was he in a coma the whole of the last bit, or? I'm not 100 percent sure, but I da- but I think he was pro- he was probably in and out a lot. Yeah, yeah. Like he was like he was still alive, and yeah, I think a lot. I think he might have been in a medically induced coma, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah. The statement, according to the International Atomic Energy Agency, was said to be human error and serious breaches of safety principles, which is, I think is taking it quite lightly. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's a pretty fucking big error. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is entirely human error. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Now you see why I didn't really want to make the joke originally. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I'm... I'm I... Like, it's... Definitely one of my worst ways to go. Yeah. Now, how's your stomach feeling? It's coping for now. Have you got more? Do you feel brave? There aren't pictures, are there? Yes, there are pictures. Heads on brave. No. Okay. Not brave, that's fine. (laughs) Because, good God, no. Yeah, well, uh, there are pictures that you can look up on Google, and they're very easy to find, and they're horrifying. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Like, uh, it like part, like it almost doesn't look real. Absolutely horrifying. Yeah, no, I'm, like, I'm, uh, I'm glad I didn't actually do pure nuclear science. That's quite enough of that for me. <laughs> yeah, like uh, I definitely look those photos. <laughs> well, you've you've got to once, but mm. only if you've chosen the topic. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I commit. I mean, I sometimes I I shouldn't commit, but I commit. Say, so, I, I get enough pictures stuck in my head for too long at a time. I don't need more. Oh yeah, that one's burned in. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Anyway, we'll uh, cut to a break, and right. uh, we'll, then we'll be back with you. Yay! What um, was it? Which hunter? Which hunter general? Which finder general? Which finder general? Yeah. Cut to break. Dad, good yeah. we're back so we've got lawrence that i'm going to pass over to all right and uh, you're going to be talking about uh matthew hopkins the Witchfinder general <laughs> still a great name what a i'm not going to get bored of that yeah as i'll say like it's a man who invented a title for himself and he knows how to invent a title yeah i mean it lasted till today and nobody else has claimed it since because they're just like oh man you just you, you, I mean, you to did be it about fair, as well as we could. To be fair, most people don't want to be associated with. I mean, no. <laughs> well, yeah, most people don't. Most. I mean, not all. No, I mean, some people do. Yep. Okay. You probably had good fashion taste. I mean, okay. Right. So, I'm going to pass it over to you, and uh, take it away. Right. So, it's sort of the turn of the. Uh, 16th through to the 17th century. Witch hunting's at its peak across Europe. So it's time of horrible superstition, civil unrest, religious unrest following the Reformation, and everybody's scared of everything and hates everything. And at some point, somebody comes up with the idea that there are satanic witches everywhere, everybody's village, and they're going to bring down Christendom. So Everything is awful. Yeah. And it's either the late 1400s, early 1500s that the Pope says, yeah, actually, that thing that we used to do thousand years ago, 
that was a good idea. Let's get back to it. So it's like, yeah, we probably should be hanging and burning witches. Takes a short while to catch on. So it's sort of European Wars of Religion, sort of 1580s through to the 1630s is generally seen as the height on the continent. But in England, it doesn't really get underway until, well, mid-1640s. You've got some earlier ones, like in Scotland particularly, King James IV of Scotland, who later becomes King James I of England after Queen Elizabeth dies. In about 1590, he was on, I was going to say a bus, but I meant a ship, (laughs) over to Denmark. (laughs) On a bus to Denmark? Yeah, he was on a bus to Denmark to meet his new wife. And it was a really rough crossing, and he was absolutely certain that witches cursed the crossing, they were trying to kill him. He gets back at a convenient time, which just happens to be the North Berwick Witch Trials, which were in Scotland, in North Berwick, so that's relatively close to the border with England. He gets involved in that, and then in 1597, he writes a book called Demonology, which has a really, really long title. It's three books, essays written in some kind of weird conversational format between two or three characters. And it's just a gathering of tons of knowledge about the supernatural and a lot of encouragement to everybody that reads it to hunt it down and kill witches. (laughs) Because he's certain they're going to murder him. Of course. And say after... After Queen Elizabeth dies in late 1602, he he becomes King of England. Then you've got his influences on Shakespeare with the Three Witches in Macbeth and all that. Fast forward a short while again, uh, 1629, somebody reads Demonology and condenses it down into a manual called A Guide to Grand Jurymen, divided into two books. And titles in this era are like, three pages each so um, okay like i've written this down on paper so i wasn't gonna just oh you kind of have to say it now no i'm saying i've written my notes down on paper so i haven't got the full title of the oh, book okay okay but, <laughs> yeah that was by a man called richard bernard who or bernard i don't know i think it's bernard i recognize the name yeah i, I could be lying <laughs> but yeah he's a Puritan preacher, Puritans, big reformed Protestant sect in England, the term Puritan, don't know whether it came before or after them, but, and in England, although you've got King James who's supposed to be Catholic, according to some conspiracy theorists or whatever, the Puritans are the big driving force behind witch hunting and finding and killing. Okay. 1629, go forward to 1642. Parliament raises arms against the king, or the king raises arms against Parliament. Either way, you've got the First English Civil War, or the first of the Wars of the Three Kingdoms, or the third of the Wars of the Three Kingdoms. It really depends how you're counting. (laughs) So many wars. So many kingdoms. First English Civil War, I said that to one of my friends, and they were like, oh, do you mean that that Cousins War back in the 1100s? I'm like, I mean the one that everybody calls the English Civil War. To be fair... I don't know shit about English wars. Yes. Like, I cannot put them in order. Yeah, it's... It... I, I, might, I might just about know the names, but I don't, but I don't think I know the order. So, so uh, I assume I'm most people. Yeah, his, history lessons in England are 
pretty dreadful. They try and teach you a bit of everything. I mean, and nobody remembers anything apart from divorced, beheaded, and died. Divorced the other two. <laughs> You're not wrong. That was actually what I was going to bring. That was actually what I was going to say. <laughs> so, yes, Matthew Hopkins mm-hmm. shows up in about 1644, the year before the First English Civil War ends properly. Not much is known about his early life. He was born to a, a Puritan vicar in in the parish of Great... Um, in in Suffolk. I've, like, <laughs> yeah, I've, that's... It's like Wendham or Wencham. I'm not sure. It's fine. But yeah. So, Suffolk. Born to uh, James Hopkins in Suffolk, which is the east of England, generally southish. There aren't actually any birth records for him, but there are birth records for the rest of his family, and they figure that he must be born somewhere between 1619 and 1622-ish. Who knows? But that's still pretty accurate for so many years ago. <laughs> yeah, well, they know when his other five siblings were born, but not him. Mm. His dad kept the parish records, yeah. so I guess you'd have thought... He was just very unfortunate. Yeah, let's keep track of... No, I don't want to bother well, writing down about that stuff. Well, I, yeah, I think we know who was the least favourite child. <laughs> so, uh, records say that he was a... The vicar was a fairly well-respected man, so good middle-class family. They owned a bit of land in the near to the Framlingham Castle, I think. Would have been fairly well-off, well-educated. So, as I was saying, about he's got a Puritan vicar, very Puritan, when the Army of Parliament, about halfway through the Civil War, ran the areas that they definitely controlled. They sent out a couple of people of the rank of Provost Marshal to cover the area. They would go around with a posse of men for the destruction of monuments of idolatry and superstition. So if it wasn't just a plain white wall church, someone's getting smashed. <laughs> okay. They come along to this parish and they're like, actually, no, you all you're all doing pretty well. We don't need to do anything here. So, yeah, very Puritan family. So, yeah, father dies at some point, takes his inheritance, moves to the village of Manningtree in Essex. I've written Suffolk, but it's definitely Essex, and sets up as a gentleman and a small landlord. Doesn't seem that he's got any kind of professional training. There are no records of it, and even in one of his books, well, he wrote a book after all this, like a nice question and answer format somebody said where were you trained have you been reading the good authors have you like had a special teacher and it's just like no but i've got experience so (laughs) it seems that he just walked into this and thought no i've got this lads i've got this he just made it up and hoped it sounded right seems it must have done that's his backstory and on to the witch hunting bit now he um he just gets started in 1644, and in the town where he's living, Manningtree, a man comes along or lives there called John Stern, who comes well known in his, as his partner in crime, not necessarily crime, but you know, in the future. And he accuses some woman of witchcraft. Would you like me to read the bit directly from the book, or do you want me to paraphrase it into relatively modern English notes? Oh, I don't know. What do you think's better? Let's read from the book. Because okay. The good book. The good book. I mean, it starts with... Uh, the discovery of witches in answer to several queries lately delivered to the judges of Assize for the county of Norfolk. First line, Exodus twenty-two eighteen. 
Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Sets a good tone. Very famous line. Yeah. Like, I've heard that from a lot of things. A lot of things use that it's line. Like, it, it, it's just a good line. Yeah. Like, um, at the very least, Warhammer must use that. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, a lot. Yeah, I was going to say. A like, lot. Like, aren't, isn't, like, one of their entire factions based off this guy? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, pretty well. So, uh-huh. alright. Question four. I, or query four. I pray, where was this experience gained, and why gained by him and not by others? Because this is all written in the third person, naturally. Why wouldn't it be? Mm. Story of his first getting into witch hunting. The discoverer, Hopkins, never travelled far for it, but in March 1644, he had some seven or eight of that horrible sect of witches living in the town where he lived, a town in Essex called Manningtree, with diverse other adjacent witches of other towns. No full stops here. Who every six weeks in the night, being always on the Friday night, had their meeting close by his house and had their several solemn sacrifices there offered to the devil with two L's. One of which this discoverer heard speaking to her imps one night and bid them go to another witch, who was thereupon apprehended and searched. Still no full stop. Did you just notice that light got dim when you said devil? (laughs) Nope. Because it did. Was it not just the screen? No, it was that light and the screen turned off. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'll only say it another couple of times. It, it's fine, but like... If, if the light goes dimmer, does that mean we're using less power and it's technically saving the planet? <laughs> Thanks, Satan. <laughs> Speaking to a wimps one night, bid them go to another witch who was thereupon apprehended and searched by women who had for many years known the devil's marks and, and found to have three teats about her, which honest women do not... <sighs> So. I mean, what? I mean, most people don't have free teats, so I can tell. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure some do. There we've got into one of his, one of the main methods of finding people was looking for bodily anomalies. Okay. Basically, he was an ableist piece of shit. Yep. <laughs> so, upon command from the justice, they were to keep her from sleep for two or three nights, expecting that in that time they would see her familiars which the fourth night she called in by their several names and told them what shapes a quarter of an hour before they came in, there being ten of us in the room. The first she called was. So we've got a list of um, familiars, and they're just, what were they smoking? Holt, who came in like a white kitling, which I imagine is a kitten or maybe a baby fox. Two, Jamara who came in like a fat spaniel without any legs at all. She said she kept him fat, for she clapped her hand upon her belly and said he sucked good blood from her body. 3. Vinegar Tom, who was like a long-legged greyhound with a head like an ox, with a long tail and broad eyes, who when this discoverer spoke to and bade him go to the place provided for him and his angels, immediately transformed himself into the shape of a child of four years old without a head, and gave half a dozen turns about the house and vanished at the door. That's really specific. Really specific. Makes you wonder if they actually saw this stuff, or like, they're just trying. I mean, I guess back, back then, I, I don't think mushrooms were illegal. Yeah, and then some normal ones. Sack and sugar like a black rabbit, news like a polecat. All these vanished in a little time. Immediately after, this witch confessed several other witches from whom she had her imps, and named to diverse women where their marks were, the number of their marks and imps and imps' names as great names. Elimanza, Piewacket, 
Peckin the Crown, Grizzle, Greedy Gut, etc. Okay, Pie Wacket is my favourite. No, no Pie Wacket is a great name. No contest. Just, that's... There is an illustration from the era of this scene. That would be a good goldfish name. Mm. <laughs> Pie Wacket the goldfish. Um, yeah, names which no mortal could invent. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Oh man, he did not read Lovecraft. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you'd imagine not. I mean, anyway, so I'm going to skip a bit. Basically, managed to get the confessions from them. Yep. After that, they found in their hundred in Essex, which is like a region of a county, twenty nine witches, four of which were from twenty five miles away of all places. They were all brought to Manning Tree and mostly hanged. Uh, no, the trial was held in Chelmsford in Essex, not Manningtree, um, in July 1645. How many people was it, sorry? Um, 29 people were taken there. Okay. Four of them died in prison, 15 or 16 were hanged, and surprisingly enough, nine of them were acquitted and sent off free. That's genuinely surprising. Yeah, startlingly reasonable. After like, a while, they stop keeping the statistics, so I assume he just doesn't bother with reasonability. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't expect any of them to get off. Like yeah. at that point, how would you get? Out, I mean, how would you get away from a trial like that? I don't know. I, I mean, considering confessions under duress would count as confessions. Oh yeah, sort of. I mean, it doesn't even need to be a confession. Literally, if you manage to just break silence and just mumble something, they're like ah confession yeah <laughs> but so that's chelmsford trial got the first accusation in 1644 in about april and the ones that were hanged were hanged in july 1645 so actually a reasonable amount of time for a trial but he was only just getting started then he was just like actually i can make a career out of this so, after this, Hopkins with John Stern. Despite the fact that Stern was meant to be the one in charge at first, Hopkins declares himself the Witchfinder and later the Witchfinder General. Oh man, so he, he promoted himself. Oh yeah. Like, it was, I, I thought he was just, he just instantly became Witchfinder General. But no, he he promoted himself. Well, at, at some point, like, I think he's just saying like, yeah, I'm a Witchfinder. Then he's like, I'm ah. the best witchfinder. <laughs> actually, actually, guys, no, this is this is true. Stop laughing at me. I've got this commission from Parliament, and look at it. It says I'm the witchfinder general, but I can't read that. You see, it says the witchfinder general. Oh, of course, they wanted to read. I so, like a lot of people. Literacy was more common than it was a couple of years before, but yeah, for the most part. Oh man, you never think about it, that. It wouldn't be that difficult to forge documents, I shouldn't have thought. Yeah, I mean, if people are just about reading, you're not going to be able to tell when someone's taking the piss. Especially because you wouldn't have ever seen anything signed by important people if you weren't important. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, this was still a case of man walks into your town with fancy clothes and you're just like, yeah, yeah I'd probably better listen to what he says. Yeah, I mean... If someone looks fancy, you don't want to fuck with them back then. Yeah. Like, you just don't want to fuck with them. Right, so, Chelmsford trial, July 1645. That's all good. We've we've killed somewhere in the region of 20 people. So, after that, Hopkins and Stern go about their work. So, Hopkins declares himself the Witchfinder General, saying that he's got this parliamentary commission. He's probably 
forged it. Who knows, but there's no actual parliamentary records of this sort of commission ever being given out. Hmm. So he goes around with this parliamentary commission. He uh, goes into the villages and towns. Bear in mind it's the height of the English Civil War. There's a lot of people that have either starved to death or are in the field armies marching up and down the length of Britain. Also starving to death. Also starving to death. And so... It's something that I haven't seen mentioned much in the uh, reading I've done. It's like people are either interested in the witches or the war, but never both. Yeah. It's the thing that you've got to realise that the people who have been left in the towns, probably not people that are competent at being in charge. They're off running a regiment somewhere. Yeah. So these are like... I mean, too, for any anywhere before, like, say, like, 1950... Competent people in the military. Yeah, but like, <laughs> yeah, you've got these towns full of scared, starving, and probably religiously extreme peasants. Mm. Always a good con- combination. Oh yeah, like that's exactly what you want in your village. So Hopkins works with the works with the people that are left in charge and the paranoia and like the local justices of a size. I don't know the difference between a justice. Justice of a size and justice of the peace, but there apparently is one. He works with the clergy as well to root out witches in all their parishes and such areas, travelling with a small entourage. Mm. Right. So, it's difficult to be impartial with this. Like, I wanted to try, but oh, there, yeah. is, there is a really good chance that he's just... Don't worry, I am not impartial. I, I just, well, I'm just like, I know, I'm just like, fuck it. I'll say what the fuck I want. But I've got this. Uh, what's that thing? Oh, don't worry. I tried for a few episodes. It didn't work. <laughs> like, I just started talking and I just started bullshitting and I was. I know what I'm talking about. Honest. Like, no, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. So we travel from town to town to village to hamlet to town to village, etc. And it stopped by and find any rumours in the town about anybody that might be a witchcraft. A witchcraft, you know. Mm. Um, a whole witchcraft. One whole witchcraft. And say, so, so this is the 1600s. Anybody above the age of 60 has a good chance of being accused of being a witch. That actually kind of makes sense at this point. Now, now that you say it out loud, I'm just like, yeah, I can of... see why. You walk into a town as one really imp- not impartial site was saying, like, oh, and they'd just uh, accuse any poor old hag of being a witch, and so on. Mm. In any kind of town where rumours didn't actually exist, and God knows how he managed to get away with this, but he, he claims that he read from a, a devil's list, which he'd stolen from the devil, and it contained a coded list of all of the witches in England. Doesn't that basically make him a witch? So, back to his book. Oh, okay. I said question... I read you question five. The first four questions are, but doesn't this make you a witch? No. But doesn't this make you a witch? No. Doesn't this make you a witch? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> of course. Of course. So... It's like, don't know. It's just like, it's right here in my book. <laughs> which I wrote for the way. But yeah, we just say, I've got this devil's list. It's written in a code. 
only I have the ken to read this because you're all presents that haven't been pouring over it for years, even though he's been doing this for a few months at this point. And he says, like, right, that's your name, isn't it? What? No, it looks nothing like my name. It's in code. It's your name. And then accuse that woman in the village. Most of the accusations seem to have been something along the lines of, oh, she cursed our family with illness, or she cursed it so our livestock died, or something like that. Or, oh, she was muttering to her familiars, or something. Mm. So the first two, again, this is the Civil War. Famine everywhere. People are just dying. It's also the 1600s. People just die. Okay. So, like, things that just happened. Muttering to familiars. Could be anything, could be just sitting in a cat and going, oh, hello. Yeah. So, spurious like, claims again. could just be thrown Oh, man, 1600s when you can't even pet dogs. No, like, right. The worst of times. Come here, you fat spaniel like, with no legs. No, nothing is allowed to be a good boy. I know. <laughs> doesn't. It, it all worked when I was making the notes, but it doesn't necessarily link up now. Don't worry, you're doing great. Exactly. So, uh,. At this time, I think probably under the reign of James, but it might have been under the reign of Charles I instead. It was the current king, though he had been thrown off the... Well, he hadn't actually been thrown off the throne yet, but he was at war with Parliament. Oh, this, is Mackenzie, this is from Mackenzie's time, I think. Yes. yes. Yes, he was working against the Covenanters, which I suppose would have made him a royalist at the time. Because, mm. yeah... Torture in a witch trial wasn't actually legal. Mm. But that didn't stop him. Because, I mean, for a start, he was the law. Yeah. Because (laughs) the law had disappeared off to war. The witch fine general. Yeah. Like, that's a pretty strong title for people that don't know any titles. Damn your militia, I've got a a thing, a commission from Parliament. I mean, the only reason I know any titles is because of technology. Well, yeah. Like, back then, you just like... Fuck that guy! That guy sounds fucking awesome. I can't deal with that. <laughs> that is a good title. I'll, I'll, I'll let him go with this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. You don't fuck with someone that called a witch finder general back then. No. So, it, what, torture was illegal, but he had his ways of say what you want about him. He was clever and a good speaker, and he had his ways of saying, "Oh, it's not actually torture. It's just me getting evidence from you, but it's going to be painful." Hmm. Yeah. Great. Just just evidence, just a bit. Yeah. Like, so, I don't know what sort of first-hand evidence there is actually written down saying this, but generally what I've got is most of his sort of interrogations would start, like, with the first one he did, just sleep deprivation for two or three days. And, yeah, You'd be thrown into solitary confinement, stripped naked, starved, beaten. And one of the more interesting ones is just tied with yourself, sat cross-legged on a wooden stool. That's so just not, sort of sitting that, that, there. Yeah, that's pretty there. fucking rough. Yeah, just, I wouldn't want to be cross-legged normally. Yeah, just sit there for a day until your legs start to really ache. Then they'd be I like, mean, right, stand up. Keep walking around the cell. Go on, keep walking. Like, so, Christ, give me five minutes. I just, like... So a lot of walking around without rest. One of the trials that he did that sort of 
passed into modern culture in in the film that was made about him, Witchfinder General, which was arguably a good film and arguably historically accurate. I know that I paid three fifty to watch it and it was maybe worth it. It has Christopher Lee in it, so it's got that. I mean it's got I'd 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 give it a pass just for that. It's got some good lusty grins just Oh yeah, like Christopher Lee was in it a lot. But um yeah, so the main trial that happens in the film Witchfinder General is the vicar of Blanderston, John Lowe's. And he appears to historically have not been a very popular guy amongst his parishioners, gets accused of consorting with the devil. Oh, okay, we can just accuse vicars of being the devil's kin now. Whatever. <laughs> of course. Don't worry, just vicars. It's fine. Yeah. Um, that would suck. Can you imagine, like, growing up? Like to be a big religious figure and end up being and getting told you're a, and you're a fucking devil. Some guy from Essex is just like, oh no, I think you're actually the devil's kin. <laughs> but yeah, he was about seventy at this time, so he got a good run in. Fucking hell! Speaking like... of getting a good run in, he was deprived of sleep and then made to run up and down his cell for four days solid with his guards on a cycle, just sort of run up and down until you're out of breath. Let him have a rest. Make him run again until he's out of breath. Let him have a rest. Bear in mind, he's 70, sleep-deprived for somewhere between two and four days. Oh my god, that's horrendous. And um, the the film does a really awful depiction of that. Like, sort of, they burst into his living room, accuse him a bit, and then it's just like, okay, now run him. And somebody grabs him by either arm, and they just run around the table with him. And it's just like, what's going on? Surely it... Wait, that doesn't work. <laughs> it was just really strange. But, I mean, one, like, why would the guards run? <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so they made him run up and down his cell for several days and nights until, quote, he was scarcely sensible of what he said or did. So that's a fairly sort of standard hmm. thing. Eventually, he sort of muttered out something as happens in films just like you hear that that was a confession i I... I didn't hear anything no you heard a confession didn't you ah okay yeah yeah i mean too fair i'm pretty sure if someone made me run i'd break after 15 minutes yeah i I did the bleep test right so um we'd got to the bloke was just made to run up and down for several days on end Mm. eventually he gave a little he gave a confession, which was supposedly to the sinking of a ship off Harwich in Calm Seas, which killed 14 people. He was accused, he confessed to bewitching cattle, and he confessed to suckling familiars called Tom, Flo, Bess and Mary for five years. And so, like, considering you've got those other names, like... Sure. Are you thinking you're lazy after a while? Yeah, right? I mean, well, the thing is, this is... August the 27th, 1645, which is just about a month after the first trial that he did. Christ. Like... So, oh, this is, this is still slow. But... Okay, sure, okay. Why not? Why not? So, he was a vicar, and he was hanged for being a Satanist witch. And also, they never actually bothered to see if a ship had sunk off the coast of Harwich. They just thought, oh, no, he's confessed to it. He didn't actually use more than one syllable. He's confessed to it. That's not horrifying. Yeah. 
So, yeah, he was hanged on August the 27th, 1645, as part of the Bury St. Edmunds trial, where 18 people were hanged. He was the only male in the list. So, men were hanged as witches, but nowhere near as much as women. There's a great bit that I was reading, like, when people started turning against him. I think I've still got the page open. This is basically what happens when you give a circular, like, authority? Well, yeah. From what I can tell? uh, On the... somewhere between the 4th to the 11th of September, so a a couple of weeks after. But whence is it that devils should choose to be conversant with silly women that know not their their right hands from their left is the great wonder. Back then, that's actually even more of an insult, because you have the left hand, right handed stuff. Yeah. They did not like left-handed people, that's the word I was going to say. Which... I am very familiar with because someone as a left-handed person. Anyway, so that's yeah. Sorry, that's how they initially uh, try and get somebody to confess. Initially, yeah. So one of the other main methods, which was the main reason he had much of an entourage, was the manner of pricking them. Mm, so pricking sounds great. Oh yeah, that sounds amazing. It, it's well represented in the film. Okay, it's probably not because they just stab them. What's a lot. the film called? Witchfinder General. Okay, it's just cool. Okay. In in America, it's called the something worm. Like it's got a different name for no okay. apparent That's... reason. Um, pricking. So this was sort of Hopkins's speciality. Like he didn't actually go about trying to prove that they'd done any kind of witchcraft and actually done any of the things they were accused of. He only sought to look at them to see if they were associated with the devil. Okay. And all witches, when they made their pact with the devil, they get a familiar. And this familiar needs to feed, so it feeds on the blood of the witch, doing okay. so through a, a nipple somewhere on the body. And it was found that the woman had three teats where honest women do not. This is where it's coming from. Okay, yeah, I, I see the ties. Yeah. So, uh, in this process of pricking, they'd get the person. I think sometimes when they were being more prudent, they'd have a, a woman go over them for it, rather than doing it as a man. And um, they would find any kind of birthmarks, moles, superfluous nipples, like, any kind of marks that aren't on an unblemished body, mm. and they would stab them with needles or thin knives or bodkins or whatever. And if this mark was a mark of the devil, it would be completely senseless to pain and wouldn't bleed. So you stab somebody until they stop screaming or bleeding. That's mm. pricking. Of course! <laughs> that definitely makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Stab them until they stop bleeding. Wow! I mean... Jesus, I I didn't know this before. Yet, right? Yeah, like um, this is completely new to me. This is very interesting. A- another thing um, on a similar basis that they do is he would get a blunt knife and cut you with it. If you didn't bleed, then you were a witch. It was, uh, it was just like you what? <laughs> what? Okay. Yeah. So like, um, this was all prescribed in King James's demonology and geez. the book that followed after it as. Ways that you can identify a witch okay. and their pacts with the devil. I think you picked a good topic, though. Like, oh uh, yeah, the guy I, is definitely I, a fucking monster. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, 
sort of anti-witchcraft is great. If I come back again, then it'll be looking at the book Demonology, because okay. that sounds like it's great fun to go into. So, yeah, that's pricking stab them until they don't bleed. Mm-hmm. What a great way to go. Um, one of the questions in his books is, many poor people are condemned for having a pap or a teat about them, whereas people, especially ancient people, are, as have been a long time, troubled with natural wets on several parts of their skin and other natural things that I can't translate into modern English. He just There are three reasons how you can judge an unnatural one from a natural one. Hit me. Um, one, he judgeth by the unusualness of the place where he findeth the teats in or on the bodies. In or on the bodies. That That's not something oh, I noticed okay. before. Oh, man. Oh, okay. Okay. In the body sounds horrendous. Being far distant from any usual place from whence such natural marks proceed, as if a witch plead the mark found are emeralds, whatever those are. If I find them on the bottom of the backbone, shall I ascend with him, knowing they are not near that vein? So, basically, if they're in the wrong place, if they're in weird places, then whatever. But, yeah, so basically... I mean, trust him, he's an expert. Yeah, the other ones are just really long, and I'm not going to try it. Yeah. The good old-fashioned ordeal that most people will have heard about in some form is swimming of the witches. Of course. Yeah. Everyone knows swimming of the witches. The, the the good old Duncan chair. Yeah. The theory behind it being witches uh, worship Satan and reject baptism, so therefore the element of water would reject the witches. If they float, they must be guilty. And it must suck to be allergic to anything back then. Oh, yeah. Like, like it's bad enough to be allergic, but then you have to worry about people fucking, like, killing you for it. Yeah. Just somebody that lives alone with their dog. Nope. Witch. Yeah. Hang them both. Quite scary, actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're strange folk in East Anglia. Yeah. So, you got the good old-fashioned method of just bind them up, chuck them in a pond, see if they float, tie them to a chair, that's nice and buoyant, throw them in a pond, see if they float, mm. etc. Um, Hopkins, apparently, I haven't checked sources, just read the websites, apparently his preferred method was more showy, and he'd get the people basically bent double with their arms crossed between their legs and tie their thumbs to their big toes. Okay. Comfortable, right? Oh man, that's... And then... Holy shit. And then put rope around their waist and have a big strong man on either side of the rope and then stand them either side of a body of water or on a platform above it and you drop the woman in or person that is being accused into the water, let them sink and rise to the surface three times. If they float three times, then they're clearly with Satan. If the people on the ropes aren't very good, there's a chance of drowning, but there's less of a chance of drowning than if you've just thrown them into a pond on their own. Mm. But that doesn't necessarily make it better. I mean, to be fair, most people... Yeah, yeah, I mean... Like, even people that, even people that drown tend to float? Yes. <laughs> like... It, like, normally it's the struggling that makes you sink, I think. I am, like, if there's one thing we've learned during this podcast, that I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But, yeah, there, there was a lot of people that died before they actually got to the ch- being charged properly. So, mm. yeah, that. Bit I think I failed to mention. The St. Edmund's trial, where there was that vicar that got tried. Oh, yeah, yeah, guilty. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, he was denied a clergyman being present at his burial, such that he could have a proper Christian service for being buried. That's so, rough as someone that grew up trying to be a fucking Christian. So the story goes that as he went on his walk towards the gallows, he recited a full burial service to himself. That's sad. Holy yeah. shit. I mean, yeah, could just be something made up by all the naysayers to prove that he was definitely mm. innocent. Yeah, it's it's pretty unclear whether Matthew Hopkins was a, like truly like not so much a zealous man as an absolute zealot, or if maybe he was like just a heartless extortionist. Because if you look at the sort of accounts from the time, he was paid an extortionate amount. Like he was supposedly paid twenty shillings for every town or village that he went to which is a pound, 240 pence. This is at a time when the average day's pay is six pence. So, like, he was just marching up and down East Anglia, bankrupting villages, as far as I can tell. There's a good chance that he was just a con man. So, like, he would regularly earn somewhere in 40 times the normal day's wage. When he went to Stowmarket in Suffolk, he demanded that the town raise a special tax levy to fund him and his entourage because he had three horses and some clickers with him and whatever who were highly trained professionals. So they raised £28.03, which, okay, so one pound is 40 days' work, whatever, 28... That's a small fortune. (laughs) Yeah, 28 times 40 plus a half. Like, holy shit. But, yeah, see insisted that he had to maintain a company and three horses and that they were paying for his bravery and skill for finding and confronting these witches. Of course they were. That's exactly what they were doing. So, yeah. There's an estimate that in the 16 months that he was active, he wasn't around for long. 16 months. July 1645 through to late 1646. It's okay. estimated that he's he probably accrued somewhere in the region of a thousand pounds. Like he was probably going on about a pound a day. Holy shit! Wow. Yeah. So I wonder how many people been killed. I, I was going to get to that. Oh, okay. Again. Okay. Thinking, okay. You got to save the stats till last because okay, everybody fair. likes their kill count. That's at a the end. Str- That's a strong way to do it. So, like, needless to say, he wasn't a popular guy. Like I was saying about he had his. Uh, Devil's like, List. A lot of people accuse him of witchcraft. Yeah, like before I, you start talking about it to me, like I wouldn't expect that. I, history makes it sound like he was more popular. Yeah, but, um, I'm pleasantly surprised that other people thought he was a prick as well. Mm. So by the time of Barry St Edmunds, by which point he'd been active for a month, he was already getting complaints. Like there was a letter that was sent to Parliament saying so about this guy that you've just commissioned. The fact that they managed to get 18 executions in this thing, which at the time was roughly 3.5% of all the killings due to witchcraft in Britain. <laughs> he was the general. <laughs> Pretty shit. Like, yeah. so they were just like, oh no, it's as, it was as though some busy men had made use of some ill arts to, to extort such a confession. Like, mm. Mm, yes. I, I wonder, wonder what those ill arts were. So yeah. People were beginning to question this commission that he'd got out of nowhere. Mm. And 
they set up a special judicial commission of Oyo and Termina, or Oye and Termina, I don't know how French it's meant to I be. mean, if, if it, there's one thing this podcast does not endorse, it's good pronunciation. Yeah, I try, but... I, like, literally, I, I, I almost oppose good pronunciation at this point. See, I, I <laughs> thought that um, because I was doing something based entirely in England, I shouldn't have a problem with pronunciation. That's and then I remember... Mistake. Remember, villages in the middle of nowhere are hell to pronounce properly. Oh, yeah. Sort of, like, you can read them and then you say them, but somebody's just going to happen to live in Suffolk and be like, "Oh, actually, you pronounced it completely wrong," and you're still talking in a West Country like, accent instead. Don't worry. Like, what we've had, fucking what Scandinavia, uh, Germany was a train wreck trying to pronounce. <laughs> Falsberg, because apparently that starts with P and I didn't know how to pronounce it. Oh, Falsberg. So I, I, yeah. I just, I literally just turned it into a silent syllable. Yeah, the the German PF occasionally replaced with a BF is just I mean, horrible. Like, I, fan literally, I mean, it might not be, the thing is, it might not be something I didn't bother checking. Mm. I was like, fuck it, it's Falsberg now. <laughs> like, sorry if you lived there. But anyway, people questioned this commission and the special judicial commission of Oyo and Termina, or Oye and Termine, was mm. formed against him and ordered him to stop his swimming trials. Mm. And he was just like, okay, or alternatively, I could get on with one execution a day from here on inwards. And um, that's pretty well what he did. Wow. Like, by July the next year, he was up in Norfolk, which, I mean, that is a fair time in the future, but sort of. Three quarters of a year later, he was up in Norfolk, hanged 20 people, went to Yarmouth twice. Nobody bothered to count how many people he hanged there. Wow. There were things, I mean, that, that's a lot. <laughs> there were things saying, like, at the Bury St. Edmunds trial, like, I'm not entirely certain. It might just be in surrounding trials. It might be people that were hanged due to witchcraft after he left, but another sort of hundred or so. Like, no small numbers here. Holy shit. <laughs> And, um, yeah, so by this point in, like, 1646, um, people were really absolutely terrified of him. Nobody would stand up to him. If he shows up in your town, somebody's getting hanged Mm. or drowned or just stabbed to death, you know. So there's one of the big things that brought him to his end of operations was the vicar of Great Stoughton in Huntingdonshire called John Gall and he got word that the Witchfinder General was meant to be coming to a cinema near him soon and <laughs> so he started travelling around the towns preaching against him, gathering evidence that his trials were unlawful and such Okay, Hopkins got word of that and he wrote a letter to one of the vicar's parishioners just like Mm, is that how he thinks about it? I'll be there in a week. Of course. But by the time this had actually happened, I don't quite understand the time scale at this point, but the vicar had managed to publish a work. In late 1646, he published the book Select Cases of Conscious Touching on Witches and Witchcraft, one of the shorter titles of the era, mm. um, which basically just condemned Hopkins and this was sent all around East Anglia and Hopkins was sort of like, okay, maybe I probably shouldn't go to this stronghold where everybody hates me. Yeah. And that was basically the last 
major thing that happened with him. Like he um he tried going around carrying on his um hangings and so on, but like people were more and more the whole village turned against him, he was just turned away at the gates, sort of thing. And mm. by early in sixteen forty seven he just retired to obscurity in his back in Manning Tree. And he died within the same year. Okay, so he died as a perfectly normal dude with a fuck ton of money. Yeah, but I mean, he didn't get much time to spend it, so there's that. And didn't have anybody to pass it on to. Well, he might have done, but it's not recorded if he did. Yeah, I mean, still, like... So, he was active from the first executions in July 1645, roughly 16 months. Okay. And between, I think, about the 1480s and the time that we passed, that Britain passed the Witchcraft Act of, I think, 1735 or 25, Mm -hmm. in that time, about 500 people were hanged as witches or executed as witches. Probably a lot smaller than most of the uh, continental things. It's probably also smaller because we're not counting Scottish executions for the first half of that. Mm. But 500. Hopkins was active for 16 months, and somewhere between two and 300 of those deaths are attributed to him. Between the 16th and 18th century, 500 people dead. This man was responsible for over half of them. Jeez. In a space of 16 months. So, you got to say, sort of well done. He capitalised on a situation. Like, oh man, like, Christ. Like, that guy, uh... Well, he knew how to take advantage of his position. Like, like, con man or zealot... Probably con man. Suppose well done, but <laughs> yeah, I couldn't have done it. Oh man, like it's it's hard to imagine, like. So dies in obscurity, and there's two. Most people think, or most commonly, it's said that he just died of uh, some sort of natural causes. Got to have a legend around your death, though. Mm. Um, reading from witchtrials.co.uk because I don't have the brain energy to paraphrase it's fine the fate of hopkins remains a mystery and in the realms of speculation for many accounts of his demise abounds one account by william andrews a 19th century writer on essex folklore wrote in his book bygone essex 1892 that hopkins was passing through suffolk and was himself accused of being a witch Hopkins, he alleges, was charged with having stolen a book containing a list of all the witches in england which he supposedly obtained the books by means of sorcery Hopkins pleaded innocent, but an angry mob had formed, and he was forced to undergo his own ordeal of swimming. In some accounts he drowned, while in while others say he floated and was then condemned and hanged. But no records of this trial exist. Mm. So it's like, eh, probably didn't happen. I mean, Got to have a good story. If it did, it's a fitting thing end. Oh yeah. And like, honestly, I kind of hope it did. The guy fucking deserves it. And- there's plenty of stories of all sorts of areas around his trail of blood where he um, supposedly haunts these days, especially oh, Manning Tree. And I've seen two different accounts of one says he's buried in Manning Tree, another says he's buried somewhere nearby, which might just be in the extended region of Manning Tree. Mm. But yeah, plenty of haunting things there. I can imagine. Right. Yeah. That's a good haunting story if there's everyone. Yeah, but um, what's more likely is um, that person that I mentioned that's supposedly important but nobody ever remembers, John Stern. John Stern wrote a book about the events shortly after and said that basically what happened was he um, 
he died because he'd been suffering from consumption for a long time and just sort of, of passed off. That's fair. I too back then just feel like if you didn't want to know how someone died, it's consumption. Because that's believable. Well, yeah. I wouldn't doubt it's consumption back then, right? Yeah, because it, it's a man that would have wanted to, after having a reputation like that, disappear, sort of hide his money in various places because otherwise people are going to go, where on earth have you got this money from? Shouldn't we have heard of you by now? Mm. So, yeah, there's a good chance that he's still alive, possibly went to Argentina on a U-boat. <laughs> Don't know. Of um, course. Brilliant. But, yeah, that's what I've got. Awesome. Oh, that was great. I uh, actually learned a lot. I... I like I knew of him. That's I didn't know much about him until now. Yeah. So uh, thank you for that. That was great. That's possibly the world's most famous witch hunter, or infamous rather. And I don't envy you editing this. What we're going to do is cut to music, come back, and wrap up real quick. Right. And then um, I'm going to have to edit so much tonight. So it's going to be great. So right. are back and um right just to wrap up real quick first of all do we have anything to shout out to or just be like um or just say what's going on in your life whatever i'm plugging christmas it's a great little festival i think everybody should try it once now uh just a few quick shout outs okay um first of all like like normal nox arcana being our first i think since they provide our intermission music so, yes, they're very nice. And also, I love their music. Yeah. Then, I normally do free podcasts to, to shout out to. So, shout outs for this week. Um, oh, fuck, I just want to do, I want to do all of them. Sure, just all How of many them. are you allowed? Five's only two more than Exactly, three. it's not Five. too much, right? Yeah. Okay, okay, this week, podcast you should listen to are Seven Mysteries podcast, Not Perfect or Functional podcast, Two Worst Dudes Discuss the News, Haunted, and All Bad Things. And honestly, I adore these guys. So. And uh, all bad things in particular, I've been in contact with them a lot on Twitter. Rachel is fucking great. Um, and they're also really funny. They talk about all sorts of disasters and shit, but um, I still find myself laughing every episode. <laughs> Which is... I'm not sure it's a good thing, but I think it is. And I really hope the name was Rachel, so I'm going to check <laughs> now. Episode 4, Thalidomide. That's, yeah, David and Rachel. Oh, thank fuck for that. Okay. There you go, David and Rachel. Okay, I got your name. I got, I got the names right, which is surprising. I don't normally do that. Okay, brilliant. Um, and there'll be more next week, like once again. And uh, finally, cool shit of the week. Uh, have you watched Troll Hunters? No, I don't know why I haven't. Because yet. it's fucking fantastic. It's on Netflix. Uh, it's a DreamWorks series, but it's done by Del Toro, like Guillermo Del Toro. <laughs> it's just so good. Like it's one of my favorite animated series. Um and season two, I believe comes out came out today actually Ooh. the fifteenth, right? Okay, yes, uh, yeah. So I could be lying, but I'm pretty sure the uh, it comes out today, and I will be binging that shit. Yeah, uh, because I I am a huge Dotori fanboy. What platforms is it on? Uh, I think it's just Netflix one. I think it's Netflix oh. original. Okay, but it's definitely worth a watch. If it's Netflix, I will bother. Uh, I know I I. Binged the entire first season in like one day, so uh, I I've showed about two, three of people it. So, 
Yeah, go look, go watch that, and now we can wrap up. So we'll cut to music, and I will see you next Tuesday. Bye.